Hey, what's up, Bourbon family? Happy 4th of July. My name is Pastor Mike, lead pastor here, and I'm bringing the word today. And I know, I know you're not in a church building, but I believe wholeheartedly that you are still the church wherever you go. So whether you're on a boat, on the beach, in your backyards, look at that. I'm, I'm just opening up and using alliteration. How much of a preacher am I? But nonetheless, I know we're being the church, and so I'm excited uh, for today. I'm excited for us to, to kind of close up or try to close up. We'll see how far we get to today. Try to close up our series called The Voice because um, we all have access to God, right? We do. We all have access to God. And uh, this last couple weeks have been near and dear to my heart because like I told you last week, if you missed last week, you could go check it out, that uh, this is a, my, my late grandfather uh, requested that I do a teaching on prayer and hearing the voice of God. And so um, even though I was a little late to provide it for him, um, this is it. Uh, so we've been talking about prayer the last couple of weeks. And listen, um, I've been intentionally wanting you guys to take notes. I want a church that, um, here's what I want. I want a church that's, that's in community, all right? I want a church that doesn't believe that solo Christianity exists. Let me, let me speak that vision out there, all right? I want a church that makes holy fun. I love what Barry says. We have a theology of partying here at Fervent Church, okay? I want a church that, that is eager and hungry to learn, okay? And, and the way that we reveal that is by being a note-taking church. Don't just take notes for the sake of taking notes. Take notes so that you can grow, that you can remember this stuff. Don't think you remember it. Don't fool yourself to think you remember it just by listening to it. You remember a lot more when you take notes, okay? So right now on the Church Center homepage, Right on the bottom, there's sermon notes. You can copy and paste it, put it in any note-taking app you utilize or have it open while you're, taking, while you're old school and taking physical notes. Um, but be a note-taking church, all right? We're a note-taking church. Why? Because we, we want to go back to the Word. We want to remember what we heard. We want to br- come to the table ready if you're in a collective, which is basically groups of 20-plus people that gather together actually digitally daily, um, they, they chat it up every single day as well as they have an online meetup and they have parties and they, have, they meet up in people's backyards and watch this service. Um, they have community, but in community, you can be more prepared for community if you take notes. So make sure you're taking notes because we're growing together and we all have the space and room, all of us. I don't care how long you've been going to church. I don't care if this is the very first time you're checking out church in general. Um, we all have room to grow when it comes to prayer. And so last week I talked about the myths of prayer. And this week, what better way to close this out is like, I want to talk about, I actually, it's going to be a lot of verses, so you better be taking notes or you better copy my notes, all right? I'm giving you the opportunity to cheat. I'm giving you the opportunity to look over my shoulder because we've got a lot of Bible verses to kind of go through. I'm going to make sure that you know that this is, I am not making any of this up. This is straight from Jesus' mouth. We want to learn today what did Jesus say in regards to prayer? What did he teach in regards to prayer? And we're going to go almost like verse by verse throughout what we call the Gospels, all right? So you might have heard the term the Gospels used in a way that says, well, the Gospel is basically the good news of Jesus. What is the good news? The good news is that he lived this perfect life, right? He was born of a virgin 
lived this perfect life and became our sacrifice. So on the cross, he paid the penalty of all of our sins so that we could have access to the Father. So, so if we declare Jesus is Lord and we love people the way he loved people and forgive people the way he forgave people, then we become his disciples and we help spread that good news all throughout the world, okay? That's the Gospels. But then, that's the Gospel. But then when we say the Gospels with an S, we're talking about the first four books of the New Testament, the first four books of the Christian Bible, and that's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, okay? That, those were his boys, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And there are four accounts of the story of, t- of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus. So when you read that, you might see uh, the same story over and over again, especially from the three out of the four Gospels. You'll see the same story or the same statements over and over again, and that's not, uh, that's not being redundant. You're just getting a different account of how they experienced Jesus. And so that's the Gospels. And so I'm going to go through the Gospels and see what did Jesus say about prayer. And the very first thing, so the first book, Matthew, the very first thing he says about prayer. You ready for this one? Matthew 5, 44 to 45. He says this, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons, and I'll add daughters there. Right? He was talking to guys, but this is for you too, ladies so that you may be sons and daughters of your Father who is in heaven. Very first thing that Jesus taught about in the Gospels, in Matthew chapter 5, was this, that, but I say to you, love your enemies. All right? So there's a big but there. All right? I like big buts, and I cannot lie. Not B-U-T-T's, B-U-T. Okay? Why did he say but I say to you? Because he said prior to this, he says, you might have heard, to love your neighbors and hate your enemies. But Jesus is like, I'm going to put something on it. All right, we're going to take it to the next level. And here's how to take it to the next level. I'm telling you to love your neighbors and pray and love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Okay, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. It, the very first time he talked about prayer, he put in a prayer request. Why? Because what is the result of that prayer request? The result of that prayer request is simply this, so that you may be sons and daughters of your Father who is in heaven, okay? So the very first thing Jesus taught about prayer was this. Write this down. Prayer is an opportunity to be like the Father. Prayer is an opportunity to be like the Father. Why? Because God loves your enemies. Whoo! I don't like that one. He does. He loves your enemies. He loves your enemies. We don't like that. We want them to hate our enemies, right? Come on. I'm going to keep it 100 with you on Independence Day, right? The fireworks are going to go off here too. I, do, I don't like that part. I, I wish he hated my enemies. No, but he loves my enemies. And so when Jesus is pushing them, pushing his disciples to say, hey, you might have heard it done this way. Your natural instincts will tell you to fight fire with fire, to clap back, to if, if somebody punched you, you punch them back. He took it to the next level and he says this, bless those who persecute you, pray for those who persecute you, love your enemies. Why? Because then you will be, so that you may be sons and daughters of your Father who is in heaven. Okay? You know, there, there are moments where... Um, it's funny how our old, my oldest, Chase, he, he doesn't look like me, but there's certain times where his mannerisms or his facial expressions or certain parts of his face resemble me. 
and 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 it's it's I feel great when those moments I'm like, man, you have your father's mouth, or you have your father's jawline, or you have your father's. That lets me know that he is mine. Okay, even in mannerisms, there are times where you could just tell when like you ever like been hanging out with somebody way too long, and you start picking up their mannerisms, you start picking up their statements. Maybe you have those statements that you pick up from people. You picked up from your parents. You picked up from the, your community and your collectives. You'll pick up these mannerisms based on who you constantly hang out with. And so I think here, prayer, when we're doing this constantly, you know, the Bible does says to pray without ceasing, we have the opportunity to pick up the mannerisms of the Father, right? And, and, and that's the importance of prayer. The importance of prayer is that it, it is an opportunity for us to be like the Father. It, more than us, we don't really change God. God changes us in, the, in, the, in, in regards to prayer. And, and this is our opportunity to be like the Father. And, and I want the world to look at us disciples and say, you have your Father's eyes. You, you have your Father's mouth. You, know, you, you represent the Father. And we do that when we pray. When we pray, we become more and more like the Father. And we see that in Jesus' first prayer request. Hey, pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies. Let's have our Father's voice when we pray. Second one, we read it, pick it up in Matthew 6. Uh, and this was a little long one, all right? And so Jesus is talking about prayer, and he's, he, he hits them hard, all right? So, so Put your seatbelts on. He hits them hard, and he ends up starting at verse 5, and he says, he says, when you pray, all right, so I want you to envision Jesus talking to you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, you go into your rooms, you shut the door, and you pray to your Father who is in secret. Now, this isn't condemning those times when we pray together. Um, I'm going to get to there. But, but, but he's challenging us to like, hey, let's be, let's be, uh, let's, let's take the performance out of prayer. And your Father who sees you in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty words, phrases as the Gentiles do. As people, people who don't even believe, when we see the word Gentiles, like people who don't believe in God do. They, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. And instead, pray like this. And he kind of goes through the, the Lord's Prayer, and, which is something that we read last week. But listen to that. And then he continues on, and we see these little, the same principle he's pushing throughout the Gospels. He, you see it in Mark 15, where he says this, and, and these, people, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as the doctrines, as commandments of men. So, so again, they honor me with their lips, but something's not right in the inside, okay? They're doing it for the show. Mark 12, 38 to 40 says this, Beware of the scribes, and talk about the religious people at the time, who like to walk around in long robes, all right? Who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplace and have the best seats in the synagogues, have the best seats in church and the places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses for, for a pretense, and, and for a pretense make long prayers. There's that performance again, make long prayers. They will receive their greater condemnation, Jesus says. Okay, so 
You see this, like he says it all throughout scripture. Don't be showy when it comes to your prayer life. Don't be the person that just has empty phrases or even long prayers. Um, so, so here's what he's basically telling us. He's saying that prayer is an opportunity to be authentic. Prayer is an opportunity to be authentic. So the first one, we, we said that prayer is an opportunity for us to be like the Father. The second one is prayer is an opportunity for us to be authentic, okay? So he talked about the term empty phrases, and what are empty phrases? Um, I want to make sure everyone understands this, because all of us, at one point or another, 1,000%, including myself, have, have given God empty phrases. And what is empty phrases? Phrases that are devoid of me being authentic, me really meaning it. We are not being real when we give God empty phrases. We're not being real. And in being real and in being authentic, I believe that when you pray to God authentically, that your prayer makes you aware. Let me say that again. That your prayer makes you aware. So we are aware of our flaws. We are aware of our weaknesses. We are aware of the things that I need to work on if I live a life of prayer. And that's why he tells us in Luke twenty-two forty, he told his disciples, hey, when he came to the place, he says, pray that you may not enter into temptation, okay? So even in the prayer, you got to be so real that it's like, don't just pray to, to, to not sin, but pray not to enter into temptation. Be aware of your weaknesses. Be aware of, of, of who you are. And if we see this dialogue, this, this, this cosmic dialogue between God and his creation, you, you go all the way back to Genesis. And the very first question God asked humanity was, where are you? Where are you? And then he said, who said that? And he wasn't asking those questions. He wasn't asking those questions because he didn't know the answer. He was asking those questions because he wanted to lead us to awareness. Awareness is so important. And I don't believe, I don't believe that you could get to awareness until, especially self-awareness, you can't get to self-awareness until you learn how to be authentic in prayer to say the things you mean. Because I think at times we bring lies into our prayer life, right? We lie to ourselves and we lie to God and we buy into those lies and it's incredibly difficult for you to be self-aware if you continue to lie to yourself. Let me say that again, because it's that important. It's incredibly difficult for you to be self-aware if you continue to lie to yourself. There are things you need to work on. And so let's practice authenticity in our prayer life because we don't want to give God empty words. In fact, when we talk about being in God's presence, what is being in God's presence? Because God is omnipresent. He's everywhere at all times. So what is the difference between God's presence and his omnipresence? It's our awareness. Our awareness that who am I and our awareness that God is there. That's what we mean when we say the presence of God. And if we could just like get self-awareness down, um, I believe that is the hallmark of a great leader. I believe great leaders have great self-awareness. And for me personally, as a person of faith, as a person who believes in Jesus, that the only way I got to true self-awareness is finally being authentic in my prayer life. Truly authentic in my prayer life. I was just talking to someone earlier today, and uh, I was expressing the fact that like, my prayer life was a joke um, up until the point of my divorce in my life. Because um, in my divorce, even though like I, I tried my best and I wasn't, I didn't do anything wrong to cause a divorce. 
I felt like my life was over. I felt like ministry was over. My calling was over. Um, so there was the pain of losing my life. There was the pain of, of just broken heart, you know, broken heartedness. There was, there was just a lot of pain happening there. But I tell you what, because of that suffering, my prayer life grew. And, and if I'm going to be real with you, like, my prayer life seriously was a joke. It was fake and just full of empty words. But there's something about the theology of pain. There's something about those seasons of suffering that turn on our authenticity when it comes to prayer. And I kind of get the impression that heaven looks down at us and says, now we're talking when we start becoming real and authentic. Now, do we need suffering to be authentic? No. We could choose to be authentic, which I highly suggest. But because I am a dumb human, maybe you're not, I am a dumb human, sometimes suffering turns on that switch of authenticity for me. Is that too real for you guys? But I'm grateful for the self-awareness that he led me to because self-awareness, <laughs> if you get down self, if you could get self-awareness down, here's the promise I have for you, that your self-awareness will make you more qualified than any scholar if you have self-awareness. I've seen really smart pastors, I've seen really smart leaders um, not be able to lead and, and be courageous um, in their leadership, not be able to uh, apply that wisdom that they have because they lack that self-awareness. Self-awareness can make you more qualified than any scholar. And for us to recognize that when we are self-aware and we're pushed to that level when we're on our knees, like really life got us on your knees, that's when that self-awareness allows us to deal with all the problems in our lives. Because here's the deal. And I'm talking to some of the Christians here. We kind of think that prayer makes us holy. And it doesn't. Because here's the news. Like other religions pray. So prayer doesn't make you holy. Um, in fact, let me push you and to be self-aware in prayer and be authentic in prayer because you got to catch yourself because pride lives everywhere. And because pride lives everywhere, we could actually still be prideful even in our prayer life. And we think that prayer makes you holy, not, not if, it, if it's deeply rooted in pride. And so there are moments even in my prayer life where I come to God and I say, I'm being authentic, no empty phrases, and say, God, I'm prideful right now. I believe that I know better than you in this situation. Help me with my pride. That's authenticity, and that gives God the opportunity to change me. And prayer gives me the opportunity to be and grow in my authenticity. Y'all getting this? Matthew 7, 7 to 11, Jesus continues on talking about prayer, and he says this, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks it will be open. Which one of you, if, he, if his son asks him for bread, would he give him a stone? Or if he, he asks him for a fish, would he give him a serpent? If you then who are evil, dad, Jesus, come on. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So here's another point. Prayer is an opportunity to experience the goodness of God. Prayer is an opportunity to experience the goodness of God. So when we ask, and here's the important part, we need to ask according to his will. This is the part that um, 
is a little bit conflicting because because we get to this whole like name it and claim it thing. We walk around saying, you know, I'm asking God and I'm not receiving it. Um, and, and we either think that our faith, you know, isn't there. We think that God isn't good or we think that God isn't powerful. But when he's asking us to, to seek him and to, 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 to chase after him and to long after him, right? He says, if you ask anything in my name, that's, that is the... That is the biggest thing I feel like we miss out on, that we need to ask for things according to his name, which I'll get to in a second. But, but it does get us to experience the goodness of God. It does get us to experience the goodness of God when we're praying and we become, again, embrace that awareness of what is he doing and that he is a good God. And 1 John 5, 14 says this, it says, and this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So we have to let scripture interpret scripture. So yes, Jesus is saying, ask and you shall receive, knock, and the door will be opened to you. Absolutely. But, but, but using other verses, we can see that we, we, how does he hear us? How does he respond? If we ask according to his will. And his will is a good will. All right? Not the good will as a thrift shop. I'm talking about God has a good will. He does. He wants the best for you. And the difficulty that we have when we question God's goodness, it is difficult for us to see that he is good when we're living a life questioning his goodness. What would it look like if we assumed God's goodness? What would it look like right now? Take everything you're stressed out about, take everything you're anxious about. Oh, please get this. Please get this. I know it's 4th of July. I shouldn't go that deep. But, but, but this is something that we all need. What if we took everything that's stressful, everything that adds anxiety, worry to our life, what if we looked at it from, from the lens of saying this, that, okay, I'm not going to question God's goodness. I'm going to assume God's goodness. What would that do to the way you look at life? What would that do to your faith if you assumed God's goodness in your prayer? Then we will start really receiving what we're asking for. We really have those doors open when we knock. If you assume God's goodness, because prayer is an opportunity for us to experience his goodness. Mark 11. Now, I need to give you some context about Mark 11, because in this, he's, he, he walks by this fig tree, and the fig tree wasn't bearing any fruit. And here we see your sweet, precious Jesus curse the fig tree. And some scholars believe that the, it was all symbolism there because if you look at the beginning of our Bible in Genesis, when man fell, when Adam and Eve fell and they sinned, sinned into the picture, they felt shamed. And what did they use to cover up their nakedness because of their shame? They used fig leaves to cover up their shame. And ever since then, instead of us being authentic with God, right, we, we, felt, we felt like we were in danger in the safest place we could possibly be, and that's in God's presence. Y'all hear that? That's what sin will do. Sin will make you feel like you're in danger, even if you're in the safest place you could possibly be. Oh, our brokenness will make us feel like we're in danger, even when we're in the safest place we could possibly be. That's for some people today. I don't know who it is, but I believe that's a Holy Spirit moment that he's talking to some of us right now. It's like, just to recognize that your brokenness will make you feel unsafe, even in the safest places. 
And so they took the fig leaves and they covered it. And, and that symbolism of religion, religion will always try to cover up the shame rather than bringing our shame to Jesus and finding freedom and liberty. And so Jesus curses the fig tree, recognizing that those figs, that religious fig tree will not bear fruit. So he cursed it. And so he gives them this context. And then later on in that same chapter, Jesus' authority is questioned by said religious people. And so this is the context. So when he says this in verse 23, we cannot understand what he's, he's going to. He says, truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you that whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it. All right. So like he's like, whatever you ask, like, yo, it's done. We're assuming God's goodness and, and it will be yours. And whatever and whenever you stand praying, forgive. Because if you have anything against anyone so, so that your father who is in heaven may forgive you for your trespasses. So this is kind of strange because we think there's conditions here, you know, like to, to ask without doubting and to. And if you don't forgive your, 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 your fellow man, then he, God won't forgive you. But I think all this stuff is happening simultaneously. You've got to remember that God's outside of time and space. And so he's like, let's act as though. His, the, the original prayer that Jesus taught us, let, let your will be done on earth as it already is in heaven. In heaven, God's already forgiven you. In heaven, we've already received everything that's good for us. In heaven, so it's outside of time and space. So we need to act according to God's level. But we need to act in regards to the mindset of heaven, that we are all now citizens of heaven. And so coming in the context of him, cursing the religious nature and how fruitless that is and also his authority being questioned he's saying this that hey if you really if you really are about this life when you ask and when you pray you're going to think on that level and you're going to live in that authority so prayer becomes an opportunity for us to experience god's power prayer becomes an opportunity to experience god's power so we're mountain movers why? Because we're experiencing God's power. It's not our power. We're not the ones moving the mountain. God's the one moving the mountain. We're not the one extending forgiveness. God's the one extending forgiveness. We are to forgive as we've been forgiven already in heaven. So we're just, we're just allowing God to extend who he is and extend his power through us in prayer. Your, your prayer doesn't heal people. God heals people. Your prayer doesn't provide for people. God provides for people. Prayer is an opportunity for us to experience God's power. Where we get our name from, James 5, 16. Love this. We say it's confess your trespasses to one another. Again, that authenticity that's there, not only in prayer, but also in community. And watch this. this is, and pray for one another that you may be healed. Okay? And I love this. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Now, that word righteous um, needs to be looked at through, again, the lens of Jesus. None of us um, are righteous on our own. Like, none of us. Like, our righteousness is like filthy rags before God, is what Scripture tells us. So, so how is it that the fervent prayers of a righteous man, why are we righteous? This is under the New Covenant. This is, this is post-Jesus. And here's what, the, you got to let Scripture interpret Scripture. So here's what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians uh, uh, 1, 30 to 31, it says, And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, 
who became to us wisdom from God, watch this, who became to us wisdom from God, who became to us righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. We do not boast on our own righteousness. Why? Because it's not our righteousness at all. It is Jesus who is right. Jesus is our righteousness. Not because of anything we've done, not because of anything we can do. Jesus is our righteousness. So when, when the, the righteous prayers avails much, only it's because we're praying the prayers that Jesus wants us to pray. We're in line with his power. We're in line with his authority, and that avails much. So when it talks about that kind of righteousness, we're only righteous because of Jesus. We're only righteous because the power of God through Jesus. That's what we boast on. And all throughout Scripture, we see this. It's our attachment to Jesus that makes our prayers do anything. It's our attachment to Jesus that makes us do anything. You know, John 14, you know, this famous verse, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Okay? He'll do the works that I do, and greater works than these he will do. Because I am going to the Father, and again, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that my Father may be glorified in the, in, in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, we think that just attaching Jesus' name to something you know, attaching Jesus' name to something makes it happen, because that's what this verse says, right? No, we don't have the cultural context of it, okay? So in regards to authority and, and, and a kingdom mindset, if, if the king's name was on something, that means the king authorized it, the king gave it permission, and the king sent it over, okay? So the king would send messengers with his name, with his seal on things, that's when, it, when, so it gives it context when it says anything in my name. It's not just attaching Jesus' bumper sticker on your bad ideas here, all right? It's, it's when we say in his name, that means that it's something that he authorized. It's something that he permitted. It's something that he's sending. It's, it's he's the source of, that he was the originator of when we do things in his name. So in other words, he's saying, yo, if you ask for something that I already want, it's going to be done because I want it done. That's what that verse means. That's what that verse means. So we experience his power. And so Jesus says this, hey, I want to heal people. I want to bless people. I want to provide for people. I, I want people's best for their lives. So if you're, if you're praying for people's best in their lives, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that because you're praying in my name. Again, and in the next chapter, he tells us again, John 15, he goes, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So I can't sit back and be like, God, you know, I want a G-Wagon, right? Any car lovers out there, you know what I'm talking about. God, I want a G-Wagon in Jesus' name. Oh, I'm going to get it. No, that's not what it means, all right? What it means is that if I'm abiding in Jesus, if I'm in his will, in his mission, in the things that he wants to do, it will be done if I ask according to his name. And later on in that same chapter, he says this, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that, and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Again, this theme of in my name, in my name, in my name, that means the things that I have authorized, not just attaching the name of Jesus to it. And so if we get this, then we start living in the principle of God, living in the power of God because we're in his will, we're, we're going on his mission, living in his purposes, and we get to be the answer for some of Jesus's prayer request. Luke 10, 2 says, this, the harvest is, this is Jesus talking, the harvest is plentiful, 
but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly, pray earnestly, pray fervently to the Lord of harvest to send out the laborers into the harvest. Man, like, we get an opportunity to be the answer to Jesus' prayer request. Jesus prayed to send out the workers. Send me, God. Send me. Send you, God. Send fervent church, God. We want to be the answer to your prayer because we want to experience the power of God in your name. In your name. Last one. This is a good one. Prayer is an opportunity to grow in our desperation for God. Prayer is an opportunity for us to grow in our desperation for God. At the risk of sounding very religious, can I just say that um, it's very difficult for Americans to understand desperation. It just is. Um, we say the term poverty or poor, and our poor in some countries is rather wealthy. Um, so I understand the difficulty of growing in desperation, but we are called to be desperate. You know, I, I want you to, you know, before your, your collective meetups this week, I want you to read Psalm 84 and just listen how the psalm is like, I long, I long to be in the presence of God. We don't, we don't have that longing. We don't have that hunger. We don't have that thirst. We don't have that desperation to want to be with God. And I believe that is cultivated in prayer. So there are times where I said not to be repetitive or, or to give God empty phrases, but there are times where, where God wants us to continue to go to him on a, on, on a subject matter. And I don't think um, that he's doing that just to, to be annoying, and I don't think he's doing that um, because he, he, if I'm really honest, because he's omniscient, he's omnipresent, he's all good, he's all powerful. I don't think he's doing that so that we could change his mind, but I do believe that there's parts in the Bible where when he allows us to come to him consistently and persistently, I believe wholeheartedly, and you could disagree with this, and that's okay, but, but, but I believe he's an amazing God, and, and sometimes words fail us, but I do believe that those opportunities when we go to him on, on a subject that, that's, that's pretty persistently, when we come to him persistently about it, um, though there's an opportunity not to change God, but to grow in our desperation. Jesus, in Luke 18, tells a story, uh, tells two stories about a parable. And he says, he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. This persistency, this tenacity in prayer to not lose heart. And he said, in a certain city, now remember, this is a story. This is not real, actual, factual, historical thing that happened. But he tells them this parable because in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected him. Okay? Um, so we've got to put that in, in perspective there. Let's talk about a judge who isn't a good judge. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. He also told in this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous I love that. And treated others with contempt. So this is the paradigm. He says this, this is why he's teaching them this parable. It's like those who consider themselves righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this, this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes, all that I, uh, tithes of all that I get. 
But the tax collector standing afar off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you that this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. So he tells these back-to-back parables. One, again, amplifying that point that prayer is an opportunity for us to be authentic and to come to God real and not to believe that we're righteous within our own merit, but we're only righteous because Jesus did something in our lives. So, but, but the first one, we talked about that persistent widow constantly going and, and, and bothering the unjust, unjust judge, right? The unrighteous judge and, and, and her being so tenacious. Um, I believe that he's pointing out, not that that's how we should always approach God because God's not an unrighteous judge, but he's pointing out her persistence. He's pointing out her desperation, her hunger for what she wants in life. And what she wants is right. What she wants is right. She wants fairness and she wants justice. And this is why Jesus himself said this, like, come on, when it comes down to his people, will, will, not, will not God give justice to his elect? Justice to his children, justice to those he loves. And justice in regards to how he sees justice, not how we see justice. And I'm talking to myself because I cry out to God all the time. God, you're not being fair. Um, But he's a just God. He's a just God, but he's amplifying. He's highlighting her persistence because she was desperate. So it's not about her bothering the judge. It's about her desperation. And when it comes to prayer, it's not about you bothering God. How desperate are you? Not for things. How desperate are you for God? And I'm not saying it's wrong to have things, but it's wrong when things have you. But what we can have is we can have this sense of desperation for God. And I know it's difficult in our context, but can fervent church, can we learn to grow our desperation through prayer? In fact, that's what I kind of want to do. I want um, I want to challenge our collective leaders to challenge our collectives. Um, and let's, let's pray for God to increase our desperation. And let him answer whatever way he answers. You know, if he answers um, by giving us opportunities to grow in desperation through suffering, so be it. If he gives us opportunities to grow in desperation just by lighting a fire uh, in all of our lives, which that's, that's my hope that he does. Like, you know, but if it has to be suffering, then, hey, not my will, but yours be done, God. But let's grow in our desperation. Because... Cares if we gain the world, if we lose our soul. And our souls, whether you know it or not, are really desperate for God. We're, we're desperate for Him. And so on this 4th of July, I just pray that as you continue on, as you celebrate and as you grow, um, let's pray without ceasing. And let's grow in our desperation and see what God does. See what God does when His people are hungry, tenacious, and persistent. Whew, that's when revival will start.